Father, we come to you. We come to hear your word. We come to seek your face. We come as earthen vessels. We come to hear, Lord. We come to bow at your throne. We come to know you. We come to be embraced by you and to embrace you. We come with a longing, a yearning to be children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us to hear. Set aside the entanglement. Set aside the way of the world. And Father, allow us to walk in the power and the majesty, the abilities of the heavens. Help us to your glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen. We are looking at a life of grace. What does it mean? And I shared with you in these last weeks, we've been delivered. We've been delivered from the lie to truth. We have been delivered from sin and to righteousness. We have been delivered from the temporal to the eternal. And then he has given us, all of this is done through this vehicle of grace. Many of us this day and age, we walk around and we say, grace, I know what grace is. It's unmerited favor. You've missed it. You've missed it. And it's forensic definition that's what it is i mean if i took the greek word and i looked and seen what grace is grace will tell me that i have unmerited favor but i think you and i miss this sometimes it is the ability it is the resources of heaven poured out lavishly on the people of god okay that's grace That's grace. We always look at it from our perspective. We never look at it from God's perspective. God's perspective says, I give you my resources. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. I give you my resources. When he created existence, what did he do? He spoke. Did he labor? No, he didn't work at it or anything. He spoke and poof, there it is. Okay, now I want to think, and I left out last Sunday with this verse. I want you to think about this verse again. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Okay? He will do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what you think or imagine. Okay? That is his abilities. That is what he does. Let me ask you a question. I want you to be real honest today. In your spiritual walk today, do you see it in that definition? That he is doing exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all I could think or imagine? Do you see that in your life? Do you see that in your life? If you do not see your life as supernatural... What's the problem? What's the problem? I'm assuming that you have been delivered from error to truth. I'm assuming you have been delivered from sin, your sin, by the way, sin to righteousness. I'm assuming that you have been delivered from the temporal to the eternals. The world has no attraction to me no more. I deal with stuff in the world. I put up with stuff in the world. I have things in the world that I have to deal with, clothing, housing, food, and stuff. But it is not that attraction to me. Assuming that that has happened, then we understand that I have saving grace. You have been saved by grace through faith. And it's not of yourself. 
so that no man may boast. Okay? I have a serving grace. We're going to look at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. I have a serving grace. God's grace has been poured out upon every child of God with a supernatural enabling to strengthen one another. You have a gift. Every true child of God has a gift. It's supernaturally empowered, and it is for the equipping of the saints. It is for the building up of the saints. It is so that the body of Christ is one, and all the world John 17 says, well, look at all at the unity that exists there. It is as a body exists. And it's fully functioning. You know what? He even says that I have a grace for giving. And well, you know, what what does that mean? Well, let me explain that to you. You can look at the text, write them down, go look at them yourself. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. He says, he who sows sparingly, reaps sparingly he who sows abundantly reaps abundantly okay did you hear what i said though god gives you the abilities and the resources of heaven to do that to do that you ever thought about that well i just don't know if i can give this week well whose resources are you relying on Huh? Whose resources are you relying on? Let me tell you something. If you're relying on your resources, you'll never be able to give nothing. Why? Because you'll never feel like you have enough. When will you have enough that you can give? I don't care whether it's time, whether it's money, whatever it is. You'll never have it. But he says, don't worry about it. That's fine because if you reap, if you sow sparingly, don't worry because you may reap. Sparingly. I started this message off with a question. How are you doing in light of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20? Huh? Is he doing immeasurably more than you could ever think or imagine in your life? You know, I was thinking about this. This week I had a chance to come to prayer and spend a lot of good time on my knees. And, uh, and, and Has anybody here cried when you prayed? Okay. I was crying with joy. And, and, and I, and I, I got to be honest with you. I went to prayer a little bit on the discouraged side, a little bit on the PO'd side, just sort of like, if I'm telling you, this is, well, I'm telling you, Jesus already left. There ain't no such thing as a church and, and all the rest. Of it. I went in there, and then all of a sudden he showed me. I collect flags. No, I did not grow up with this collecting of flags thing. I didn't have this fetish that, you know, some people collect spoons or bells. But God has allowed me. He says, I want to show you something, Terry. He says, I, I, I want to give you a flag in every country you preach in. And I said, well, that's stupid, Jesus. What's up with that? I mean, I got an American flag. It's all beat up, and, and I leave it out all night long, and it gets frozen and all that other stuff. Then all of a sudden it dawned on me, you know, I have an Israeli flag. He says, Terry, you preached in the synagogue across the street from Peter's house. I was like, whoa. Yeah, I guess, yeah, you're right. Oh, look, you have a Union Jack. Okay, that's for all of you. That's a British flag. Why? You preached in London. You preached in Essex. 
Yo, look, dude. You got a Russian flag. You preached in the land of the czars. Terry, how can you come to me discouraged? Terry, how can you come to me with your hands thrown up? He says, Terry, I'm doing immeasurably more than you ever thought of or you ever imagined. And I remember first time I ever studied that text, I thought, man, it'd be kind of cool to preach in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> well, that's what I thought. I don't, you know, we all have our little things. Okay? And I, that's what I thought. And you know what my Lord showed me? Your imagination doesn't even keep track to me. He says, let me show you. And he went through a bunch of other things that he showed me. He says, I want to show you that you will have a life that is supernatural. Yeah, Terry, you have your moments. He says, but don't worry, Terry. I am faithful. And when you're not, he says, I am faithful. And I am doing exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ever think or imagine. Okay, now I'm not trying to say, here I am, catch up. But what I'm saying is, my plan was Yankee Stadium. Grab a hold of that because you've got to ask yourself a question right now. Is the life you're living truly in grace? Because grace is the abilities and the resources of the heavenlies. Ephesians chapter 1 says he only lavished those on us. Okay? Even in my giving... He gives that. Now jump into verse 7, chapter 2, or chapter 12, 2 Corinthians. He says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Okay, now I want you to stop right there for a second, okay? We started last week, and I told you that this grace in suffering had a qualifier for it. And I want to share with you this. I want to bring this back to your attention. All right? God's grace for His people is only available when we are on mission. Please hear what I said. He owes you nothing if you have rejected the reason for your salvation. Listen, let me give you a little qualif- footnote real quick. Your salvation has nothing to do with you going to heaven. Did you know that? He did not save you to get your butt in the pearly gate. That is not why you got saved. You were saved. Romans 6 says that God raised Jesus from the dead. Why? To the glory of the Father, so that you may walk in the newness of life. Why are you born again? To the glory of the Father. Why do you walk in the newness of life? For the glory of the Father. Why do you have this supernatural ability? For the glory of the Father. It is not for your pleasure. It is not for your pursuits. It is not for your passions. It is for solely and wholly one purpose. The glory of the Father. I read to you Matthew 28, 18 through 20, on mission. You have one mission. One, period, zilch. But one. Okay, why? You can't handle more than one. I love you. 
I can't handle more than one. He said, I got you to do one thing here. Oh, I got you one thing. Now, there's some things you're going to have to do to get this pulled off, but there's one thing you got to do. As you are going, as you are passing through this life, I don't care whether you're Jacob, I don't care if you're Adam, I don't care if you're Ed, I don't care if you're Al. As you're going through life, whether I'm in school, whether I'm dealing with my babysitter, whether I'm dealing, that'd be Ed, whether I'm, dealing, whether I'm dealing with my spouse, my kids, my co-workers, I have one purpose, one purpose only. That's it. As I'm going through this life, I am to make disciples of all peoples, teaching them the things that he has taught me. Now listen, if you don't read your Bible and you're not faithful to the church, guess what? I know for a fact that you're not making disciples. If you're not faithful to the local assembly, you're not making disciples. (coughs) Sorry. Why? That was his plan. I will give gifts to men, and these men will be gifts to the church, and these gifts to the church are there for what? Strengthening of the saints for what? For the work of service. What is the work of service? Making disciples. Making disciples. Sometimes you even get to speak. Sometimes all they do is see your walk. Sometimes all they do is see you. That's it. You've got to get a hold of this, brothers and sisters. This isn't complicated. We tried. Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Hello. How can I say that? How can I say that? The Great Commission. What is that? As you are going, make disciples. Now then, I have one verse that I really want you guys to pay attention to. And I want you to hear this very clearly. It comes out of the letter to the Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 9. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Turn over to that. It's on page 314. It's got to be like 314 of the New Testament, huh? I just just walked into that and said, hey, what is up with that? Yeah, because see, I got 1,300 in the Old Testament, so yeah, three. Huh? No. Philippians 4, verse 9, says this. All right. This is discipleship. I, I, I really wanted you to see this because I don't want you to complicate it. Okay? Here's what it looks like. The things you have learned and received and heard and what? Seen. See, we get this. If I hand out a track, then I am fulfilling the Great Commission. Is that track seen in you? Let me tell you something. Look at what we've done. We've literally made Jesus Christ um, a drive-through experience. I like a number one Jesus Christ supersized. All right. All right, you got it. All right, that's dollar two ninety-eight. All right, no problem. That's what we're doing. No, the things that you have. Learned. You know what that means? Bam, 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 bam. I'm learning. Okay, the things that you have received. You know what that is? Do you know what that is? If you receive something from somebody, that means that they imparted something. They 
gave of themselves. They gave financially. They gave of their time. The things that you have received. This was the pouring out of myself unto you. Now listen, this is discipleship. This isn't what Terry's supposed to do. This is what you who have been delivered from the lie to truth. This is you who have been delivered from your sin to righteousness. This is you who have been delivered from the temporal to the eternals. You, you will keep teaching, learning, 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 learning. Why? So I can pour it out to everybody who crosses my path. Look what else he says. I like this other part. And you heard it. You heard it. Listen, I prepare a banquet of God's word Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We pray about it all on Friday. I take a break on Saturday. Hit her again on Sunday. If you're not here to hear, whose fault is that? I can tell you this, if you're not here to hear, I know that your life is not exceedingly abundantly beyond what you think or can imagine. Brothers and sisters, the church is the only supernatural entity on the planet Earth. It is the manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not a business. It is not an organization. It is a living organism. The incarnate Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit exalting the incarnate word. And as that entity in the power of he who spoke existence into being, as it moves through this world, the people stand in awe and wonder and in shock. You see that today? You have been saved by grace. The abilities and the resources of heaven. Do you know what's bizarre about it? I'm not waiting on that. It's already here. It's already here. You know what's really scary to me? Every single one of you in this room today are in that position. How do you live your life? Listen, grace through suffering is not for you to get out of situations. Grace for sufferings is not for you to get out of serving. Well, you don't understand. I have bronchitis. I have hepatitis. I have... Fungitis, I have whatever. No. No. Listen, you got troubles in this life. So what? Get over it. Is he greater than your trouble? Well, you just don't understand. No. You don't understand. You have no clue. He spoke existence into being. How much trouble are your problems? If you don't understand, I've been saved by grace. So what? You can go ferret yourself away in your pleasures, your plans, your practices. 
No, His grace is not for me to get out of a situation. His grace is to carry me through the situation. His grace is not to get me out of service. His grace is to throw me headlong into more. Well, you know, the preachers burn out at the highest rate of any profession. They should. Bunch of them haven't got a clue what a life of grace is, and they need to just catch on fire and go someplace. True child of God. You want to say to the Apostle Paul, burned out? Let me tell you something. If somebody took me outside the city gates and stoned me and left me for dead, I'm going to start questioning. I'm thinking, huh? Listen, the first message I ever preached, ever preached, hear me well. I literally had people come to my face and curse me for what I said. That's your first message. Sign me up for preacher. I found myself running back and saying, did I miss it by that much? And God said, no, you were right on. And I thought, well, it'll get better. What was I kidding? Ever I live a life of hearing that flushing sound. Look what it says here. Go back to your text in 2 Corinthians 12. Somebody let that guy out of the closet. He wants to hear me preach. Okay? He says, I have this thorn in the flesh. This is a messenger of Satan. And it might, the New American Translation here says to torment me. It literally in the language of the New Testament says to strike upside the head. You have this thing that's just going to smack you upside the head. You know what? Sometimes God's power is not seen unless there is suffering. Suffering. When God's power is complete, when, when God's power is perfected, it is manifest and it is witnessed and everybody says, Wow, did you see that? They say, wow, did you see that? Why? It ain't because that that guy can turn a phrase. No, it is literally you watch the people change in front of your very eyes. And they go, wow. They go, wow. I preached at a church in the city of snakes is the English translation in Russia. Eight people in that church. Christ had never been named in that church. This guy had lived, he grew up in this town. He'd come to salvation. He was working building safes. That's what his job was. And every time he went into the city before to go to visit his mom, it's where his mom and dad and everybody grew up, he would stop at the sign, get down on his knees, and pray that God would give him souls from that town. God gave him eight. After nine years, he got eight. That ain't even one a year. And he lost one. His mom went on to glory. But he's got eight. And you would have thought this guy had all the gold in Europe. And when we were driving in for me to go preach, he stops the car, he jumps out, and he gets down on his knees. And the way the car was running, I thought he was praying for the car. He gets back in and I through my interpreter, I said, what are you doing? He says, well, I pray for souls. I went in and I preached Revelation 5. 
proclamation of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem or in Nazareth 2,000 years ago when Gabriel told Mary, guess what? You are with the Son of God. I preach Revelation 5. This is what it looks like. <laughs> okay? That thing that you guys are celebrating, the proclamation of virgin birth, I'm telling you, here it is. Who is worthy to open the scrolls? Who is worthy to take the title deed of the cosmos and hold it? Look, behold, a lamb as if slain. He is worthy. And the 24 elders jump up, start hollering and hear. I preach that. Okay? I seen these old women, babuskas, tears rolling down their faces. And they're just saying, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Eight. And I'm sitting there. Now, this is through an interpreter. And the interpreter sitting there in a monotone like this. I do not want to bring any emphasis to me. It should only be you. Yo, dude, ain't you excited about any of this or what? Okay? That summer, they baptized 57 children. Okay? Can, can, can you help us build a little room so we'll have classrooms for the kids? Well, we got, we got a deal. We got some extra brick and some extra wood. We built a second floor on it because we're going to build a wilder, worship center. It's going to be on the top floor. Sunday school class is going to be on the back. So I'm thinking eight and 57 kids. How do we do that? Oh, by the way, we have over 200 now in worship. What was the method? It's very simple. The man got down on his knees. The word of God was lifted up. And the fellowshipping of the saints was something that the neighborhood was seeing and said, Man, how did that happen? It ain't rocket science. Why? Because it brings me to what I'm trying to deal with. This, when God's power is perfected, it's teleo, it's fulfilled, it is finished, it is complete. Okay? If you read your text there, at the end of verse 9, okay, so that the power of Christ will what? Dwell in me. You know what that word means? Have a home. I want the power of God to have a home. How does it have a home, Paul? How does it have a home? Paul understood that God was saying, here's my grace for situations. What situations? Well, you know, minor situations like salvation. It is only by my grace that that's going to happen. Sanctification. It's only by my grace that that's going to happen. It's only going to be, let me tell you something, to reach the lost, it's only going to be by God's abilities. To watch a lost soul converted into the image of Jesus Christ, it's only going to be His resources. He says, you can't do this on your own. When I am weak, Christ is strong. In the language of this testament, It is a continuation. He keeps on saying it. Everything I have given you is sufficient for you. My grace, my abilities, my resources are continually in every circumstances. Oh, so sufficient. Always. As long as you are on mission. 
He doesn't owe us anything outside of His mission. Please understand that. Make disciples, teaching them, rightly dividing truth. Why? If I'm going to teach somebody, I'd better be rightly dividing it, don't you think? Like all the things that came with the presence of Christ. I like that, don't you? I like spiritual gifts. That's kind of neat. But let me tell you something. They are not given to you to pursue your agendas. Okay? Remember what I shared with you. Romans 6 says, He was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father so that we might walk in the newness of life. For what reason? Glory of the Father. So let me give you a little second thing here I want you to think about. I'm on mission... But if I'm on mission, Paul says there's another reason I have this suffering. There's another reason. Now, I'm on mission. Remember this. I'm on mission. But there's another thing that's out there that he keeps striking me upside the head. Okay? You see it right there at the beginning of verse 7 and the end of verse 7. Mine's written in red. Not that it's a red-letter Bible. I highlighted mine in red. Why? Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention is what I'm trying to say. What? To keep me from what? Exalting myself. End of the verse. To keep me from exalting myself. Okay? Listen, let me share with you something. Did you know that everyone on the planet Earth suffers? Do you know that even lost people suffer? Do you know lost people can lose their jobs? Okay, can break up their marriages. Do you know lost people can get diseases? Did you know that? This is grace sufficient for them? Let me tell you something. I love you guys. I love you immensely. This text has absolutely nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. Okay? Let's say you are suffering for the sake of the gospel. Okay? You're bold for the gospel. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, All who want to walk in Christ's righteousness. What does it say? Well, not in America. Really? It doesn't say that in the text. If you walk in Christ's righteousness, what will happen? 3.12, make it. You know what? We always like the promises of God, don't we? 2 Timothy 3.12 is a promise of God. Walk in my righteousness, you will be persecuted. But if you're on mission, guess what? My abilities and my resources are sufficient. My grace is sufficient. The reason you are in a difficult situation, is it because you're on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ? Now be careful. Okay? He gave us grace. For the making of disciples, for training, for equipping, to walking, to teaching, to helping people learn, to being heard. Okay, outside of that, he owes you nothing. You reject the very reason that he gives you his grace, his abilities, his resources, for God's sake. You reject that, he owes you nothing. Look in the middle of, look at verse 10. Okay, he, got, he has that summary there, therefore. Okay, then he says, those dreaded American words. What does he say? Therefore, I have a thorn in flesh. 
a messenger from Satan. He's striking me upside the head, but that's all right. I see for it for what it is. It is to keep me from being exalted for self-aggrandizement. I understand what that is. Okay, because here's what Paul says. His grace is so massive for me. He says there at the beginning of verse 10, New American Standard is the best translation of this phrase in the Greek. I'm well content. I'm well content. Roll that one through once and see where it goes. Ask yourself this question this very day. I'm well content. If you're outside a mission, I guarantee you you're not. If you're on mission, regardless what comes down the pike, you can't break my contentedness. It's impossible. Well content in suffering for Christ's sake. That's what he says. That's what he loses. See there at the end of the verse? For Christ's sake. You will never be content suffering for your sake. But his abilities and resources will be yours when you are suffering for his sake. Everything in this passage is available to us as we are on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. Find yourself suffering in difficult situations for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm suffering for the Lord. I've heard that a lot. I married this bonehead. I am suffering for Jesus. <clears throat> I work over here in this job. I am suffering for Jesus. You know what? I bet you're not content either. You know what you're telling me? I'm not on mission. I'm not interested in a mission. Listen, if, if you're going through some of the stuff that the lost people are doing, this text has absolutely nothing to do with that. You wake up in the morning, go in and have your biopsy or... MRI or CRI or CPR or whatever it is you go through and it comes back with this real bummer thing there and your first response is, Oh, God, what about your grace? Get over it. It's got nothing to do with it. It's given to man to die once. Okay? Do you know what that means? That's a promise of Jesus. <laughs> you got to get a hold of this. Well, i got to go to the dentist. So what? We all go to the dentist sometimes, don't we? You know, I wake up with bronchitis. Daggone, his grace must have left the building. Now I got bronchitis. Well, the most powerful preachers I've ever seen spent more time in the hospital and of the hospital time in the intensive care unit than any man I've ever seen. And he had to be the most powerful man preaching that I've ever seen. He had influences on people like you've heard. Adrian Rogers. Charles Stanley, Stephen Olford, Wayne Barber. And you know what? I guarantee you there's only one other person in this room probably knows his name. Manly Beasley. Who? Manly Beasley. I seen a video of his last sermon and they had removed this part of his hand that morning. 
And they brought up a chair. We're afraid that you won't be able to stand. And he says, ye of little faith. Move the chair out of the way. And you'd have thought he was 19 years old and full of it. And he went crazy on the church in Laodicea. Less than 30 days later, he went home and his faith became sight. Well, who was he? I don't know. Manly Beasley. I have this video. Amazing stuff. There is trouble in this life. There is stuff in this life. And you know what? You just need to get over it. You just need to get over it. The promises of God are incredible in the release of His power. It is a life of grace. It is living grace. It is incarnate. You see it. It is the abilities and the resources of God manifest before mankind. And it is not for you to roll around in your bed of blessing. He owes you nothing if you're not on assignment. He has here a word that almost can be a rebuke. I call it a warning, but I also look at it from a different perspective. And the reason that I do that is because this should be incredibly exciting for the children of God. Okay? If we are on mission, I am bold. Everything I do deals with Christ and Christ alone. We will find ourselves in suffering on His behalf, guaranteed. That's amazing truth in this passage. Okay? God's grace, God's abilities, God's resources are poured out unto us. They're just dumped onto us. And they are only sufficient for entire life. Okay? And the measure, there's a measure of God's grace that is unleashed, that is poured out in the midst of suffering for those who are on mission. Because we are on mission, we are bold and we are serving Him. We are serving Him. We need to quit feeling sorry for ourselves. Well, you don't understand. I'm trying to make a car payment. I'm trying to buy a car. I'm trying to see a car. I'm trying to buy a house. I'm trying to rent a house. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. And I just times that. You know what you do? That's just stuff. Get over it. Just flat out get over it. Okay? I'm not going to pray for you people to get your house payment. I'm not going to pray for you to get a mortgage. I'm not going to pray for you to get a new car. You know what? I have a hard time praying for you jobs. I'm sorry. I love you. We're here for Jesus. We're not here for 401Ks. We're not here for careers. We're not here for abilities. We're not here to pursue our, our ideologies. We are here for Jesus. And I will pray for you for Jesus. And where you work is trivial. How much money you get is meaningless. You have the resources and the abilities of heaven at your disposal. Get on mission. Get on mission. Or sit there. No. You bring shame to Jesus. You bring shame to Jesus. We need to start taking advantage of the life of God that is available to be lived now. Take advantage of that. That should excite the socks off of every child of God. I can literally disappear and God lives through me. Woohoo! But look around.
You know what? We will suffer when we are on mission. But we get a deposit of grace that comes when we are suffering on His behalf. I want to give you a little footnote here. This is not chastening. Suffering for Jesus is not chastening. Chastening is that I need you to get on mission. Okay? He does not give you grace. When it says, you know, God chastens His sons, He scourges His sons. You know what scourging means? I will rip the flesh off your backside to get your attention. But Lord, He loved me. He does. But He has a mission. And He will not allow you to thwart the mission. Okay? I can look at that grace and say, you know what? He didn't kill you. He's still being gracious. Okay? But a physical... Listen, He has mercy. Absolutely. But I tell you what, you keep telling Him you're not interested in what He's about. Don't come crying to me. Don't come crying to me. He will challenge us. And when He challenges you, guess what? He gives you the resources and the abilities to accomplish what He's led you to. Uh, He wants me to be obedient. He allows you to be obedient. Okay? I want to give you one thing. I have some challenges when I look at this text. I want you to see these challenges. Okay? First and foremost, I showed you the two phrases in in verse 7, right? To keep me from exalting himself, myself. To keep me from exalting myself. Correct? Two times you see that. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. Okay? But if you look at it, he starts out 7, the surpassing surpassing greatness of revelations. For that reason, he gets this smacking upside the head. Okay? You know what he's telling you and me? Don't compete with Christ's glory. You want to see Christ lived out in your life. Don't compete with his glory. Paul saw his situations as something that the sovereign God was doing to keep him from competing with Christ's glory. Okay? Keep me from exalting myself. Okay, the context of this book is the letters to the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. They were warned. They were warned that false teachers were going to come in. They were warned that these false teachers were going to come in, and the, you'll know they're false because what do they bring the emphasis to? To themselves. You will also know that they are false because they will take the man of God or the woman of God and they will tear them down. Because if I tear you down, I get lifted up, exalted. Ain't that right? Ain't that right? What had happened in the church in Corinth? Paul said, when I leave, know this, false teachers are going to come in and I will be a person of attack. Okay, what happened? False teachers came in and they were throwing stones at Paul's credibility, his credentials. Okay? We pull him down. 
Why? I need to pull him down in the eyes of the people. Why? So that they will look at what? But nobody will jump up and say, quit exalting Paul. He's a bum. I need to be exalted. Okay? That doesn't make a good deceiver, does it? You sit there and go, ew, dummy. Sit down. Okay? But you know what they will say? Let me show you how spiritual I am. Let me show you how much Bible knowledge I've got. Let me show you where I graduated from. Let me show you what my master's is in. Let me show you how well I can parse a Greek verb. Let me show you how... You know, I spent 12 years studying the attributes of God. And it evidently didn't work or you wouldn't be so haughty. Okay, let me show you my prayer notebook. Let me show you my prayer walk. And I'm going to be so good at it, I'm going to write a book and tell everybody else how to do it too. But they're not going to say, exalt me. But what are they doing? All right, Paul addresses this in the context. And I want to show you the context. It's chapter 11 and chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. You can go read it on your own, but I don't want to. But he's walking a real fine line here. This is a very difficult place to be as a pastor teacher. Of not building a person's, building yourself up. These are my, look at what I've done. Okay. The reason I can share with you that I preached in Israel and I preached in England, I've preached in Russia. Most of you know me. And to this day, you're probably saying, why in the world would they even let him in them places? Okay, but that's beside the point. Okay, most of you know that. Most, if anybody really knows me, do I exalt myself? Okay, so there's a fine line there. I've had some attacks in the past, and here was the defense of my attack. Compare the fruit. Well, what do you think about this and that? Compare the fruit. That's all I ask. Compare the fruit. Okay, that's all I ask. Compare the fruit. All right, so you got to be real careful about this because you need to remind the people sometime to, to compare. Um, I would call it credibility. Okay, his versus theirs. Okay, I mean, Paul has a wonderful argument. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters in Corinth. There would be no church had I not been there. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty, yeah, come to think of it, you're right. Okay. Remember the personality cults, the division. I am of Paul. I am of Cephas. I am and all the rest of it. I think he should do this and can't do this. I think that's all the things he's dealing with. And see, Paul told you wrong. Paul told you wrong. It's more holy to be single. Nah, Paul told you wrong. It's more holy to be married. Nah, but see where the arguments all come in. And it reminds them of the things that he had gone through on their behalf. Okay. That which he had suffered on mission making disciples in the city of Corinth. He wanted to remind them of his fruit. Because you know what? We do forget quickly, don't we? Don't we? What that man or woman of God did 
And all of a sudden, we can quickly turn on them. Oh, I just don't think. They don't talk to me as much as they used to. And I'm thinking, that, you know, what do they really know? I rest in the assurance that nothing has changed. In the first part of chapter 12, he speaks of his vision and revelations that God had given him. You know what, let's be realistic. Not every Christian gets some of this kind of stuff. I went up to the third heaven. I don't know whether it was in body or spirit, but things I've seen there, I can't even say. Paul was in a war in his life. He understood he was in a war. His suffering, he had pain, he had hurt, he had a thorn in the flesh. He literally had something God had allowed in his life that was smacking him upside in the head. But he said, you know what? My commentary on this is simple. He did, did this so I wouldn't be exalted above measure. You know why? Jesus will not share his glory with anyone. He does not share his glory. First Corinthians were rebuked because of their divisions, their disunity. Paul said, let me tell you something. Chapter 1. It's not what I... It's not... Me preaching, it's not what I am, this orator. Remember, when I came to you, my message was kind of on the foolish side, wasn't it? He who would redeem would die on behalf of those who were in desperate need of redemption. Well, that seems sort of stupid. That message just doesn't make any sense in the eyes of the world, does it? But I wonder if he did a demographic study. I wonder if he looked at the society and asked them, wonder what's going on here that I should be able to reach these people. He didn't. Why? He came with a foolish message. And you know what was even crazier about it? He had a foolish method. He literally believed that he could stand up someplace and just preach. And all of a sudden souls would be changed. Doesn't he understand? We're in the video age. You've got to have pictures, video, streaming audio. You've got to have these things. Why? We're way too sophisticated for preaching. You're just going to preach? That's it? He said, this preaching is foolishness. You know what? It is today. But you know what's weird about it? God hasn't changed the plan. Why? Doesn't God understand our technology, our abilities now? Yeah, He does. But He says, you know what? No flesh would glory in His presence. When all is said and done, no one gets the glory except God. Look at the church today. Tell me what you see. Tell me what you see. Church needs to be relative, relevant. Message needs to be relevant today. And we need to understand the culture. If you don't understand the culture, how do you expound the scriptures? That gospel seems a little bit foolish, don't you think? And the cross thing, let's be realistic, that's offensive. You know what? When all is said and done, who gets the glory? You preach the gospel and the foolishness of that message and the foolishness of its method, lives will be changed. God's power will be unleashed and people will grow. And who gets the credit? But you don't understand. I've been through this study and this study and this principle and this practice and this. 
Who gets the credit? Then why are you publishing more books than there are of Holy Writ? How many in the church are doing church in the way that makes sense to the culture? You understand that? You know what what that means? I'm doing church man's way. It's the wisdom of God. And he has chosen the foolish message and he's chosen a foolish messenger. How can it work in this video age? How can it, you know, men of of what background, of education, who gets the glory? I see pulpits who are looking for pastors and need not apply if you're not over 45 years old and have a Ph.D. Who gets the glory? Who gets the glory? He says, I'll take the least to overthrow the strong. I'll take the foolish to confound the wise. Why? Who gets the glory? The New Testament church is trying to do what the world does a whole lot better. Did you know that? The New Testament church is trying to do what the world does a whole lot better. If we want music, if you think that music saves souls, let's go get Led Zeppelin. They did music really well. But you know what? Who gets the glory? I wonder why we are so interested in our glory. I wonder why we are so interested in comfort in our materialism. I'm going to close with this thought. First challenge, don't compete with his glory. I want to close with this thought. Here we go. Are we, who are here today, ready to pay the price? To be on mission for Jesus Christ? My comfort, my materialism, my wants, my desires, my hopes. Jesus will share his glory with no one. And I've got to be honest with you. I long to see his glory poured out. I long to see, by no mistake, who is the center of attention of that glory. I long for that. I, my soul thirsts in the desert for that. You know what's cool? Paul knew it. Even if God puts a messenger of Satan to keep me humble, it's to his glory. To his glory. My comfort, my materialism is of absolute no concern to me. I am content with the power of Christ for Christ's sake. And that power is available to everybody in this room to stay right now. To live a life that is abundantly, exceedingly abundantly beyond 
all you can think or imagine in the power of the King. Father, we love you and we praise you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. I praise God for you. Praise you for your word and the amazing things that you show me through your word. And I pray that your spirit and your people this day strengthen. Strengthen the faint heart. Father, encourage those who uh, are weak. Admonish the unruly. Father, draw us in the unity that is Christ and Christ alone. Praise you and thank you in his precious name. Amen. To him.